Welcome to the Cool Explorations Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Peters. Today we will be interviewing Dr. Rob Kelly of the Rob Kelly Recovery Group. Uh, Rob Kelly and his recovery group, they help people get through addiction and get to a place in their life where they no longer feel that they are uh, needing that addiction and they can get past that. So it's very important work that they do. And you can check him out at robkelly.com. That's Rob, R-O-B-B, Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y dot com. Subscribe to this podcast to get exclusive access to the after show, Shooting the Breeze. So today we have Rob Kelly from the Rob Kelly Recovery Group. Uh, He's going to be talking about uh, addiction and uh, the treatment plans that they use. So with that, why don't you uh, introduce us to yourself? Just tell us briefly about what you do and who you are. Uh, no problems. Thank you, Tony. My name is Rob Kelly. I'm a double PhD. I uh, work in the addiction field. We have a, a private concierge addiction company. It's 98% telehealth. And uh, we've been doing this for over 20 years, I think. So, yeah, I really enjoy it. I have lots of people. Worked around 7,000 people over that period. And uh, just love what we do because we do what we love. Awesome. Yeah, and the work you do is very important. It's something that... Uh society needs desperately right now. So um, thank you for doing that, th- that work. Um, I would love to hear your testimony and how God's currently working in your life and how he brought you into uh, what the work that you do. Wow, okay, I'm gonna try and cram this in real quick because uh, it's taking about two hours usually. Uh, well, I, I took my first drink at the age of nine. I was, I was a choir boy <coughs> at the time. <coughs> Unfortunately, I got molested by my choir master and uh, kind of turned me away from the church completely in God um, and religion as a whole. I'm still not re- religious, I'm, I'm spiritual, which I'll go into, but yeah, I mean, over a period of time, alcohol just took control of me. What I know now, but didn't know then, it's a predisposition. I was passed this down from generation to generation. So when I took that first drink of alcohol, all bets were off. It was always going to end two ways. I was either going to get help or I was going to die. And, uh, you know, along the way, I thought lots of things would stop me drinking. I thought getting married would stop me drinking. Didn't happen. First child didn't happen. Second child didn't happen. <clears throat> and uh, it was just, it was just out of control towards the end. You know, I put some, I put my kids in dangerous situations as if young infants, as in one and three they were at the time when it really got bad. I'd leave them in cinemas when I'd come out to get a drink and find out. I had to drive six miles to the nearest liquor store or off license. I'd drive back and all the lights in the cinema was on. The police were there because I'd left these two young babies. It was just absolutely a nightmare. I was out of control. You know, I'd hurt my wife. I stabbed her three times one night because she wouldn't let me finish drinking my bottle of vodka. And it was just not like me. I was like the devil was in me. And, you know, I was going to die. So, <clears throat> unfortunately, uh, or as I say now, unfortunately, uh, my kids went, my wife went, a house, cars, holiday home, business. Mom and dad won't speak to me, but sister and brother disowned me. And before I'm a blink of an eye, I'd lost the big house and the cars, and I was sat on the streets homeless for the first time in my life, thinking, what the hell just went wrong? Still didn't think I had a problem, though. I stayed on the streets for 14 months, uh, robbing, stealing, hurting people, stealing wallets, stealing money off them. And uh, lived in Piccadilly Gardens for, for 14 months. And then 
<clears throat> one day, I uh, well, one evening, should I say, Sunday night, Monday morning, about two-ish, maybe, I was walking around the industrial estate in the uh, centre of Manchester. There's nobody there. No people, no cars. Uh, it was pouring down. I was coming out of a blackout. I dropped down to my hands and knees and I started to cry like a baby. I wasn't crying because I'd lost my wife, my kids, my houses, my money, all my family. I wasn't crying because of that. I was crying because the first time in my life I realized I couldn't stop drinking. And it took all of that for me to realize. So what I did is I, when I was on my knees, I was crying. And I, I don't know why, Tony, I don't know why to this day, but I looked up to the sky and I said, if there's a God up there, I can't do this on my own anymore. And I, was, I really meant it. I mean, I was done. Five suicide attempts on two occasions it worked. I was dead, you know, and they brought me back to life again. And uh, 30 seconds later, a guy walked around the corner with a little Bible in his hand. He'd missed his last bus home from a late Bible study, so he walked like an hour to pass me on a route. He doesn't use a girl because he always catches the bus. Finds me, asked me if I want help. I said, yes. He's a recovering alcoholic. He took me back to his house and a Christian. And he let me stay there. And that is where my journey started. So that was uh, that was my awakening. Well, I thought that was my awakening, Tony. It wasn't. That was just somebody getting me to a safe place. Because he said to me, uh, you can stay here for as long as you want, but you need to come to these 12-step meetings. Well, I've been to these meetings before. And it's horrible. Absolutely horrible. But uh, I went because, you know, it was a dry bed. And there I met a guy called Johnny, called him a recovered alcoholic. And uh, I uh, asked him to sponsor me, and he said, no, but I'll be your spiritual advisor for a period of uh, 12 weeks, which really, uh, really intrigued me. But every single Wednesday night, uh, I used to go to his house, I'd spend an hour walking to his house, spending an hour walking back, and he taught me stuff, he taught me about God, he taught me about sobriety, he taught me about, you know, being chosen, and being, you know, the guy, and uh, he told me after the 12 weeks of walking there, so that's 12 times he walked to his apartment, 12 times I've walked back, and he said, um, you're going to change the world, going to be different for tomorrow. Life's going to get better from tomorrow after the tour. There's no way. I live in this guy's house, Derek, and I live in his basement on a blow-up mattress. There's no ways I'm going to change. But the very next day, I uh, I got a part-time job from Derek, where he worked. And the day after that, or the day after that, I turned into a full-time job. Later, during the second week, somebody gave me a million, a little car to drive around him. So when I got my first pay packet, my life had changed, and uh, <clears throat> I went to the gas station, or petrol station, and I bought a little card and a little teddy bear. So I could afford a little teddy bear. And I wrote on it, thank you, John, for introducing me to God. And God took the compulsion to drink away. And I walked back to his house, and when I got to his apartment, <clears throat> there was nobody there. It looked as if it was just dark. So I was knocking on the door like I'd done 12 times before, and the next door neighbor came out on the right side. He says, can I help you? And I said, can you tell me where John's relocated to? And she said, John has been in knowing that apartment for at least six months that I know of, or three months. So I let wow. her close the door. I thought, she's crazy. So I knocked on the left-hand side, and the guy comes to the door. 
He said, can you tell where John's relocated to? He said, John. I said, yeah, John, who's lived next door? She said, let me tell you something, that apartment's been empty for at least a year. It's derelict, you can't go in it. I was, I was stuck there going, what? Is this a joke? I was expected to come out of a dream. I went back to that meeting I first met him, and I said to the chairman, do you remember speaking to John over in the coffee machine? And he smiled. And I think, what are you smiling at? And someone else chuckled. I said, what's going on, guys? You, know, you must know John. And he said, first of all, we don't know John. We never heard of him. And secondly, you were over in the coffee machine speaking to yourself. Never found that man. Wow. Finally, yeah. <clears throat> but what he taught me and created is part of what I do today with Rob Kelly and Curry Group is we come away from switching therapy. We use neural science and spiritual connections to recover from anything alcohol, drugs, cake, food, uh, porn, um, trauma, anything. Just crazy how we do that. Yeah, we, uh, I had on a or an uh, addiction specialist as uh, one of my early interviews and uh it was very enlightening the, the different work that that goes involved but behind that and and the molestation i understand i relate to that because i was molested twice as a child so i i very much understand that part and i understand the god moments as well because i was on my knees and i was going to kill myself when i was uh 17 or 18 and uh I just had this moment where I was fighting with God, trying to, um, trying to kill myself, and I felt this pressure on my wrist that just prevented me from doing it wow. until until I collapsed. And uh, then a voice in my head said, "What are you doing? I love you." And wow. it was at that moment that I decided to go to Bible school, and wow. uh, it really changed my life. And and God does intervene and in those kind of ways. So I I. I understand that you know god is is powerful and he he manifests himself in so many different ways to us and we just have to pay attention and, and, and listen and be willing to do that um so i'm really interested in exactly what you guys do what's what's the treatment plan that goes into helping people um beat their addiction and get back to a normal life well, what we do is we use neuroscience, which uh, a lot of people feel about. So that, that's a big plus for us. Uh, and we use behavioral science, which is also a good plus. But we're also adamant that if you don't have the spiritual awakening, um, you know, and that change of thought patterns, that you will drink again. And those guys that have that won't drink again. So that's how we do it. It's a 90-day program. It's one hour a day, tally health. And uh, we're very passionate about what we do. We have a 97% success rate. And uh, yeah, really proud, really just, you know, excited. We have four offices around the world and uh, just love what we do and really do. I think, I think most of it as well is passion. None of my guys think this is a job. Everyone thinks it's a passion, you know, and they care. We care about the clients. We care about the patients. And we really just make sure that they want to get well and uh, just love life because that's what it's about it's about loving life today you know stop worrying about what's going to be uh, start worrying about what kind of life god's got for you because it is an amazing life no doubt about that. yeah for sure um and what made you decide to get your phd in psychology um and how did that kind of change your life and, and your direction 
Well, it's more about, uh, I was always intrigued with the mind. I knew my uncle had a drink problem, and he drank too much. And uh, I just, I don't know, I just, the mind always intrigued me. So that's why I took psychology at school, but I didn't do anything with it, because when I first left college, I joined the police force. So it didn't really have any bearing on what I was doing then. But eventually, I got back into it. You know, I got back into all the uh, all the psychology of everything. It's just phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. I just love it. I just intrigued with the mind. Yeah, we don't understand very much about the mind, really. Like when you think about all the things the brain can do, we don't understand those functions. So it, it's a big subject and uh, yes, area. Um, changing gears a little bit. Uh, what about your your time being homeless uh, and that battle with addiction? Uh, how did you eventually come to a point where you really just overcame that? And you were able to to really get back on track. Was it just that that God moment, or was there something more to it as well? No, I think well, I think it was the God moment, and I think once you get uh, focused on recovery as a whole and really think it's possible that's the other big thing as well because i didn't think it's possible and i think that god revealed who i really am because we never know who we are we think we do but we don't we never we never see ourselves as other people see see us so it was really important i believed in that it's really important i believed in john and what he was doing and uh life took off you know like i really started getting into it and i just started to love life for the first time ever you know so yeah, it was uh, it was phenomenal. Uh, you also had a little bit of time as a musician. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I, I was I was on stage at nine playing bass guitar since the age of four, maybe five. So my auntie and uncle like, were always going out as a kid or playing clubs and clubs. So when I was about nine, they said to me, "Hey, come and join the band," and that's what I did, and that's when we took our first train, but. I always wanted to be a professional musician and I was always the most talented in because I'd spend all day with the guitar strapped around uh, my neck. I took to music like other people took to decorating or mechanics. I can't fix a car, I can't decorate, but I can pick any musical instrument I can play. Bagpipes, doesn't matter what it is, I'll get a tune out of it. So uh, I got a job, first of all, at a place called Strawberry Studios, which tends to see all the run. Uh, they had a few hits over here. They were huge in the UK. Uh, and I started doing session work, which is going in and doing the bass track for recordings or TV commercials, or especially radio commercials. Before we had all the computers, you'd actually go in and play these tracks separately. And that's what I did. And what I found out told me is that I was getting paid treble the amount. I was getting paid for a gig. So I didn't have to leave the house. I didn't have to load all the stuff. I didn't have to drive there, play for three hours, drive all the way up. Getting to bed by 2 a.m. I was getting two or three, four, five, sometimes 10 times as much as that for doing an hour's work in a studio, a nice warm studio, a nice cup of tea. You know, it was phenomenal. So while I was doing that, I uh, I saw, after about a year, I saw uh, an ad for bass player Abbey Road, the famous Abbey Road, and I applied for it. And eventually I got the job um, and played with Elton John, David Bowie, Queen, all them guys. And, the money I earned from there, I got myself through college. So it's a great time in my life. Yeah, that uh, 
is exciting. It's also a lot of pressure. I know that it, it puts on you. So if you're having problems with drinking, that probably the pressure probably didn't help, did it? Oh, it was worse. That's where my alcohol and drug abuse took off to the highest degree. Yeah. It was right there. It was just, uh, yeah, that wasn't a good, uh, that wasn't a good thing for my, uh, my alcoholism for sure, you know, but, uh, yeah, it had to come to fruition sooner or later. So it might as well have been, I think I'm the only musician in history that got fired for being drunk every day. Thing. <laughs> yeah, that's a prerequisite usually. <laughs> yeah, I I think that's the story sadly with a lot of uh, artists that that are out there. Um, sadly, that that's kind of the culture that goes with it. Yeah, um, it's yeah. kind of like smoking with with chefs. A lot of them smoke because there's so much pressure, and a little yeah. bit of nicotine helps them, exactly. uh, or they they think it helps them. Um, <laughs> How have you seen God at work throughout this whole process in your life and bringing you to where you are now? Oh, my goodness. Why do I start with that one? Yeah. <laughs> 95% of what I do, what I teach, how I get people to learn God, which came from John, you know, direct uh, Lake, I think. I think John was an angel. Uh, and what I do is miraculous, they tell me. Uh, but I know it's not really me. I know that I've been chosen as a vessel. Uh, I'm very successful what I do because it's God's program, not my program. I have to remember that. So every time I see myself on TV or, you know, commercials or whatever, speaking at large venues, I can remember this is God, not me. I never, and here's, here's something that freaks me for that one. You, you'll get it, Tommy. I never prepare what I'm going to say for a speech. I did this huge tour and there was three of us to go on. Well before me, then me, then one after me. And they all had these bundles and belts on because there was like, I don't know, 90, 100,000 people, you know, and they were so nervous. I was nervous because I, I didn't have anything, but I never had anything. My idea is when I walk on the stage, God will get me by the time I get to the podium, and he has done every single time. But they said to me, hey, uh, where's your notes? I said, I don't have any notes. Go, you have to have notes, Dr. Rob. You can't, you can't, and they were just aghast. And I'm like, well, it's not me who's going to speak, so I don't know why I'm worried. So I walked across the stage to the podium. By the time I get the podium, I always black out. I have no idea what I'm going to say. I say it, and then when I come around, he's walking back when there's a standing ovation. And I just think, I just thank God. My biggest fear is when I get to a podium one day, he's not going to be there. That's my biggest fear. But he's never let me down yet. And, and he's always there. And he always comes up with something amazing that someone needs to hear. And, you know, for the viewers and listeners here, I really hate to disappoint you, but I'm not as clever. I'm really not. It's all him guiding me and telling me what to say. And some of the craziest, most quoted lines come out when I say something from Blackout on stage. I'll say something like, we're, on board, we're, all, we're all born with million dollar minds, stop hanging around 10 cent lines. Everyone says, that's, I'm, I'm, that's genius that I have no idea what to say. You can't just say that. No, I just said it. And I come up with these, well, God comes up with these lines and it like, it transfixes people and goes, holy moly, I've never heard that before. Now they're right. God's just gone, boom, drop a bit of knowledge on them, Rob, everything will be good. And that's what I do. So everything I do is God infused from mowing the lawn to looking after my three bulldogs, me and my wife believe in God. Uh, so everything we have, I have um, died twice. <clears throat> since I've been in America, 15 years, 
where my heart stopped and the hospital, when I was in hospital both times, they overdosed me up the second time, which was only about two years ago. Uh, and I was dead. And someone found me by mistake, and my heart going on, it's just not, it, his fingerprints are all over his house. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and I always, I always say this, it's always God's podcast. It's not my podcast. Yes. yes. Um, and when I say mine, then I'm just like, okay, God, it's God's podcast, his work. And I always do prayer walks before podcasts, even this morning when it was 9 a.m. for me. Uh, I, I went out for a walk and I like, God, just speak through us. Let it be your words, not, not ours and uh, just guide the interview and let it reach at least one person for christ because that is my that is my goal i want hope and encouragement to be the main focus and i believe god is the only way to get that uh so i very much understand exactly where you're coming from and when i do devotions i have a few points that i take from from a book and then the rest i'm just like god just speak and i just speak off the top of my off the top of my head and i believe it's god directing exactly what i'm saying in those in those devotions and i get feedback on the devotions that people are like oh this one really 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 hit me i love this one or or i'm glad you're you're, you're taking a little bit from this guy's book and you're expanding on it mm -hmm. uh because it, it's just phenomenal the way god works it really is it's mind-blowing yeah and uh <coughs> if you could tell us how um, can we help with addicts getting them into a place where God is their center instead of their addiction? Well, when you, when, if you find out anyone's suffering addiction anymore, yourself, the first port of call is dialogue. You know, dialogue with other people. Just share this. Don't keep it to yourself. If you keep it to yourself, you'll be what I did. Grow, grow, grow. Alcoholism and addiction are progressive illnesses. They never get any better. They always get worse. Now, here's, 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 the, here's the good news, guys, and the bad news. Uh, it's not the knowledge of God that addicts see God alcoholics. It's not a belief in God that what, what addicts need. It's a relationship with God. So you go to church a hundred times a week. If you haven't got a relationship with God and you're an alcoholic or addict, you're going to die. That's just my personal opinion. So start doing the right thing. Have that relationship. If you need to read the Bible, I've never read it. If you need to go to church, I stopped going back in the day, um, or you need that spiritual connection, start meditating and talking to God. Meditating and praying, listening and talking. That's all it is. Listen and talking. Listen, when you, med when you meditate, talk, when you pray. Ask, ask him to save you, ask him to show you miraculous things. And then if you're a loved one, you need to get them into a good um, spiritual stroke, God-based program. Don't take into just any treatment centers. Most treatment centers don't work. Um, in my opinion, with my experience as a, as a, a professional, uh, the medical fraternity have not got all the answers, guys. I'm sorry to tell you that, but they haven't. Um, there has to be God. He will remove the compulsion to drink or use, and then you become a servant of Him, and He will take you to the heights of the height, as long as it helps another human being. You know, so get it done, guys. If you're sat at home, if you're sat at home, you're thinking, oh, my God, it's not me. I could never do that. I'm not a leader. Uh, and I'm going to amount to anything. I want to apologize to you. Somebody's put that there. I'm going back to the quote. The problem with million dollar lines, everybody is, 
I've got some kids playing in the yard. But you want to be Jimmy? You want to be an astronaut? Why do you don't want to be a race car driver? What happened to them dreams? I'll tell you. Family and friends kicked out of us. That's what happened. Oh, don't be stupid. You can't. You can't do it. Stop believing them. God's got a plan for you when you're working with kids. If you want to be CEO of a company, you'll take you there. You know, if you want like me, homelessness to here, it is humanly impossible. I'm sorry, guys, but it is. I had to have contact. God gave me everything I had today in God's sense. And I, when I speak, you know, I curse, I, you know, and I can hear God say, you know, we've got to speak in their language to get their attention. Because I speak at halfway houses, I speak at, you know, down and out shelters. I also speak at boardroom, you know, Harvard. Oh, you know, I spoke at all these places, but he gives me that talk for each crowd, you know, to deliver the same message. And that is, when you hand your life over to him, amazing things happen. Things of miracles will happen to you, and it always happens. That's why our program is 97 to 100% success rate. Is it isn't us, guys. Like I say, we wish it was clever, but it's not. We, we, we re- this is our job in, in a nutshell. We reach down, we grab the alcoholic or addict from the doctor, and we hand them on to God as quick as we humanly can. And once we do that, and he's got it, and we have a spiritual awakening, and we have a change in your pathways, which is a change of mind, <clears throat> not only will you never drink and use again, but you will go on to help millions of other people with the rich effect. Yeah, and there's a local uh, group here as well, Rock Solid Refuge, in uh, the, they they specifically located in a small community so that these teens, because they're all teens, they have anger problems, some of them have drug or alcohol problems, some kind of issue that needs to be addressed. And they are very, like, God is the focus. They teach some school there, but they they can't go anywhere because uh, it's out in the middle of nowhere. And oftentimes the judge has said, you either go to this place or you're going to a juvenile center. And they see a lot of success because they they do exactly what you were saying god is the focus and and god helps bring them and guide them in everything that they do and i think that is very important um that's a, a great message because for me growing up um after i was molested it it became this this addiction to to porn and masturbation uh, pain um because I, I wanted to just get rid of that that pain that was inside of me and hurting myself was a way to do that um as well as swearing became a big addiction for me just like cursing like crazy because that was the way i expressed myself um and poetry ended up being a huge escape for me in writing and i felt god in a lot of what i did um so i understand again exactly what that was because without god i never would have overcome that i never would have changed I would probably still be doing that that same stuff today if it wasn't for the work of God. Yeah. Um, I love it. If you could give one piece of advice for people who are battling addiction, um, what would that that one piece of advice be? I know it's fully recovered from this disease. Fully recovered. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Recovered doesn't mean cured. It means gain one's health and state of mind. Addiction. We don't have a drinking problem, we have a thinking problem. Alcoholics are allergic to the ethanol in alcohol. Drug addiction is slightly different, but we present the same. 
So the, the, the question is always about the answer is always the same, guys. You know, you can recover, just get the right hand and it will be okay. Hate to spoil the ending for you, but it's going to be okay. Yeah, and it becomes a for me, it, it became a prayer. Like when the temptation is there, it's like, God, take this temptation away because I know I can't do it without without God. So thank you for coming on. I, I really, really appreciate that. Thank you for tuning into the Cool Explorations podcast, where we have just been interviewing Dr. Rob Kelly and uh, talking about the Rob Kelly Recovery Group, where they do help with addiction. And I hope that you'll check out the work that uh, they do there. It's very, very important. And uh, if you are in need of that kind of service or you know someone who is, this is definitely a, a group that you should be checking out. And you can check them out at robkelly.com. That's R-O-B-B-K-E-L-L-Y.com. Well, I have just been uh, blessed with so many people who are requesting to be on the show, and I'm impressed with how many people want to share their testimonies or what they're doing uh, for the Lord right now. Uh, if I haven't got back to you, I promise I will get back to you. Uh, I look forward to, to speaking with each of you and interviewing you. And uh, keep tuning into the show. There, there's lots of, of new people that are coming on here, and if you're considering wanting to to come on the show uh just shoot me an email at tpeters745 at gmail.com and uh, i will get back to you